Welcome to another McLean and Company. The book is called Growing at the Speed of Change, your inspirational how-to guide for leading yourself and others through constant change. The author of the VIP strategy and firing on all cylinders and more books than you can shake a finger at is the author of Growing at the Speed of Change. Jim Clemmer, welcome to the program, Jim. Thank you. Good you're to not be here. Mo- you were just telling me that you're not a, what they call a motivational speaker. No, I hope I'm motivating yes. when I speak, but no, I, I'm really more of a leadership development speaker, both personal leadership, which is what this book is really focused on, as well as leading others, leading teams, leading organizations. That's really my specialty. You say in your book that it's a, it's really a myth that. He is or she is a born leader. Mm. Leaders are not born, they are created. That Yeah, and that debate's been around for a long time. And there's now some pretty conclusive evidence to say that most leaders are in fact made or created. Some people, of course, whether it's music or sports or whatever it is, have born with natural abilities. But how more common is it the person who has a natural ability who doesn't use it? And what really tends to happen is people with less than natural abilities often develop them to a great extent. And that's what's been found in the field of leadership. Um, Your book is just filled with some of the very astute quotes. Mm. Here's one. Um, There are two classes of people who tell what is going to happen in the future. Those who don't know and those who don't know they don't know. That's that's from John Kenneth Galbraith. Mm-hmm. Uh, explain that and how it fits in with your look at leadership. Sure. Well, first of all, say I like to use a lot of quotes because I feel like if I couldn't have said it better myself, why go on and on for pages proving that to the reader? So mm-hmm. when it's a, a succinct, just there it is. And that's a good example that that is really getting at the whole issue of trying to predict the future because one of the ways that people often try to, to deal with change is to predict. Now, I think anticipating and getting ready for change is a good thing. Predicting the future and then basing your plans on those predictions can be a very dangerous thing. And it's a huge industry. That section of the book talks about the multi-billion dollar industry of forecasting and predicting and trend analysis and where things are going. And what what I showed in that section is that people who've actually analyzed going back 20 years and looking at all those old predictions and seeing how accurate they were, they came to the conclusion the only prediction that you can really rely on is a 48 weather, 48 day weather Even forecast. That, That's it. We could look outside <laughs> and tell us that way. Now, with, uh, with the, the, the leader and the way that they do things, I'm, I, I can only apply it to my own business, which has been the broadcasting for over 50 years. Mm. When the management changed, that is, a new, a new station manager came in, you've got your resume ready. Mm. Is mm-hmm. that the same with other businesses? Well, yeah, it can be. Well, the main theme that I put in this book is to say, well, first of all, leadership is an action, not a position. It applies to everybody, regardless of your formal role. We all need to lead. But then to define that further, to say, well, whether it's a new station manager or restructuring in the organization or downsizing, well, there are all these things that go on, some of them positive, some of them not very positive. We basically have three choices on how we respond. We can lead and move forward and try to be productive and positive and make things happen. We can follow, sit back and wait maybe for someone else to kind of tell us what to do or figure out what we should do. Or the most dangerous of all, we can wallow. 
So you have a whole lead follower <laughs> wallow. You have a whole t- whole section of, of your book uh, growing at the speed of change on wallowing. Yeah. Tell us about wallowing. Yeah. You have a, 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 a dictionary definition of it. <laughs> yes. Which is rolling like swine in Yeah, muck. yeah, exactly. Or crap, as you call yeah. it. Yeah, well, it's when we put on our crap glasses <laughs> yeah. and decide to uh, to frame things in a negative way. And it, it is such a dangerous thing to do. There's all kinds of medical evidence now that shows that we're much less healthy when we wallow. And wallowing is really about looking at the negative, getting very angry, frustrated, blaming, looking for all that's wrong. I like to play with some of this a little bit. So in the book, I talk about getting on the bitter bus and riding down helpless highway through frown town into pity city. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a good example of what wallowing is all about. And it's a deadly thing to do. And, And some people wallow in wallowing. Yes, you're right. Almost glory, f- yes, glory they, they, in it. They yeah. Oh, God, the yeah. the bus doesn't like being so long. How do you contact that? How do you push that away? Read your book, I guess. <laughs> well, uh, you're right. Some people do. In fact, I gave a little story in there. Years ago, I ran into somebody I hadn't seen for a while, and <sighs> I ran into him. I said, hey, Phil, how's it going? And he said, same crap, different day. <laughs> and uh, and so and you said, I think I'm not going to see him again. Yeah, right, exactly. And, and then he kind of piled up all the crap for me and just told me how terrible that life had been going for him because he wanted me to wallow with him in mm-hmm. all these terrible things. So uh, what are the way things we can do? Well, at one thing we can maybe do is try to avoid guys like that and Mm -hmm. try not to spend a lot of time there. In other cases, it might be, well, can we help them reframe or refocus a little bit? Now, this is particularly if maybe it's somebody in our family or that we work with, we can't really get away from. And so what might we do to help them? Well, it might be suggesting, well, have you looked at it this way? Or here's another, or trying to emphasize what are some of the positives to be found in the situation? Uh, the really the last part of the book talks about nine steps to stay in the leading mode. So there's a variety of things there that are outlined, and it it really depends on the situation and the individual that we're dealing with as to which one we think might apply. Now you tell a story of uh, a fellow by the name of Wise Man and his daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you relate that to us and how it affected him? Yeah, uh, now you're talking. He was weeding in his garden, and and oh, oh yes, no, you're Sel- Seligman. You're talking about oh, Martin Sel- Seligman. Yeah. Yes, Seligman. Yeah, yeah. I, I love a lot of his work, and I've quoted some of it throughout the book. He's a psychologist at the University of Pennsylvania, and he really um, has been one of the leaders in this new field of or growing field of cognitive psychology and of course cognitive or cognition is how we frame and look at things so it's the glasses we put on do we put on the crap glasses or do we put on uh, the the more positive glasses and so the story you're talking about is one day he was weeding in his garden and uh, and he'd been teaching and talking about positive uh, and optimism and psychology for years and uh, his five-year-old daughter Nikki was throwing weeds around and just behaving the way five-year-olds do and uh, he was focused on his task and wanting to get things done and he yelled at her for uh, for doing that and and uh, so she turned around with the wisdom of a child, basically said, uh, you're such a grump. Why don't you follow some of the things that you talk about? <laughs> and he gets, whoops. Yeah. And suddenly Eureka. that was one of those, those aha moments uh-huh. when uh, he began to realize, you know, I got to do a better job of applying this stuff. And he believes that he was born as a pessimist 
And, and there's a lot of research that says that we are born either with, uh, there's even a gene now that's been identified that of optimism or pessimism. And some people are born with a natural disposition to be negative and to look at things in a negative way. But the key thing is you don't have to keep it that way. You don't have to stay that way. And that's what he began to realize is, you know, I've been allowing my sort of natural disposition to just take over. I've been studying optimism for decades. He even wrote a book, I think he specializes in depression. And he came to realize that he can change that focus and, and started to use that those changes. And now he says he's probably about an eight or a nine on the optimism scale. I've interviewed a lot of motivational speakers mm. in, in my time. And one question that I've always asked them is, I have a feeling that you aren't motivational and you teach, but that, that if you're trying to do something with, on somebody else's coattails, mm-hmm. that after the session is over, it takes about 24 hours, and then you've forgotten everything you heard. Is yeah. that true? It, it, that is a big problem. Yeah, you can get this short-term inspirational yeah, lift. It's like being saved again. Yeah, yeah you get up and you get blessed. Yeah, and evangelical back, kind yeah. of feeling. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's again what I, my focus uh, is on. Practical leadership is a term that I use, and what I try to do in the book is an example. It has dozens and dozens, hundreds of how-to points that are more about application and about how we build habits to really ingrain more of this kind of thinking and ingrain more of these sorts of approaches. Now, uh, I I keep hearing of the 12-step approach, which is uh, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. Right. Do you have uh, that type of an approach Mm. to leadership? Are there certain rules and regulations that we have to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, today I'm going to... Blow yeah, off the world or yeah. Something. Well, many of those twelve-step kinds of approaches, whether it's AA or other similar sorts of groups, really are grounded in some pretty solid kind of work that mm-hmm. usually starts with some form of introspection and looking at where I'm at and strengths and weaknesses, and then from there deciding what I need to change and do, and then moving forward to do that. So I have identified nine steps. Uh, they aren't really sequential. I know a twelve-step program tends to be more here's step one, two, three, etc. These are a little more um, linear and or, or really are nine principles in a lot of ways. That, But the first couple that are in there are somewhat, I think, sequential. Like the very first one says, getting a clear in your mind, where do you want to get to in your life or your job or whatever it is, but harnessing what I call the magnetic attraction of imagery. Mm-hmm. and having that clarity about what you want to move toward. You quote uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, in his uh, uh, inaugural speech in 1934. Yeah, it was uh, the early you 30s. You have nothing yeah. to fear but fear itself. Yes, yes. And you say you've got a, a lot of writing about fear. Fear can really take it over and, and uh, take over your whole attitude towards life? Absolutely. Well, I I strongly believe that fear, which we often don't recognize, it takes on so many different forms, is really the foundation of stress. Because what ultimately is stress? It's worrying about either the future or the past and regretting. uh, And all of that really is founded or grounded in fear. Now, uh, I think all of us have gone through we're walking into our job and we go up at the escalator or elevator and we say, I wonder if it's the last day that I will do this. Hmm. Is that fear? Sure. Uh, anything, any sort of concern and uncertainty about the future where we, we and a feeling of dread or a feeling of... of oh, something, uh, the pit of your stomach. Yeah, that yeah. gut feeling you have that you're just... You're, you're that. Well, what do you do for that? 
Well, again, I, that's so hard. I wish I had the magic prescription mm-hmm. for how to banish fear from our lives because I find it creeping in lots of times in my own life. And so I think it's step number one is recognizing it and recognizing our own thinking, recognizing the glasses we're putting on. And now how we deal with that is so individual. It depends on, on our own. Again, that's what the nine steps or mm-hmm. nine areas are looking at saying, well, here's something you could try. You could look at, for example, self-talk or a form of self-hypnosis. What are the things we're telling ourselves every day about I'm no good at, I'm, I'm not worthy, I'm, or are we using more positive kinds of affirmations? Or one of the other uh, keys that has been found is gratitude, is looking for what are the things that I have to be thankful for, to be happy mm-hmm. about in my life. That's actually been found now to, have, to clinically help with depression. It's helping people learn the skills of gratitude. Simple act of smiling releases endorphins mm-hmm. that make your whole body feel mm-hmm. better. Exactly. It's, it's, it's things that almost sound trite and in some ways have become cliched, and yet there's now a lot of research supporting that it really does work. But it's making those habits, it's building that framework of how we look at things. Now, you explain strings in, in quantum... Uh, string theory, yeah. String theory. Quantum mechanics. That, uh, Ron <laughs> Keach has written a book on. Yeah. Uh, the Dancing in the Dark, it's called. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you... Do, uh, how did you get to understand it? Oh, well, I can't say <laughs> I understand it. It's it's really quirky, weird science. And you don't I'm, see it, but it's there. Yeah, I'm no scientist. I just find it really, really fascinating when you look at this world of quantum physics, which is below what's visible mm-hmm. in microscopes or can't be seen in any way at all, but the effects can be seen. And what I find, I kind of boil it all down to say, and then what I try to do in the book is to say, well, here are some of the weird findings that come out of this field. And when you start to look at it, what you really start to say is we are beings of energy living in a universe of energy and our thoughts are energy and we can affect what's around us with our thinking and our approaches and the energy field that we create. And that has profound implications of all sorts in our lives. So do we just accept it, question it, or can we use it to our own good? Well, that's, I think, what some of the implications are, is that we can say, okay, if the energy that I'm picking up or giving or feeling is not what I'd really like it to be, I need to change that. And Mm -hmm. I need to take steps to do that. And we can do that. It's not always easy. We may need help. We may need a mentor, a coach, a therapist. There may be different ways that we try to get help on how to refocus, reframe, and re-energize ourselves. We're... Are we always trying to make ourselves over at some point, or is it just is it too late? Uh, no, I don't think it's ever too late. And and this book actually, um, I, I had a predecessor book called Growing the Distance. So both of these are in the theme of growing mm-hmm. and personal growth. And I put this story in that other book, one of my favorite stories that really gets at your point. When Oliver Wendell Holmes was Mm -hmm. a Supreme Court justice, was 93, he was in the hospital for a short stay and a short operation. And the president of the day came in to to see him and found himself teaching himself Greek in his hospital bed. 
<laughs> and he said to him, uh, why are you teaching yourself Greek? And I'm sure he wanted to add at your age. Mm -hmm. And uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes said, well, I've always wanted to learn Greek and I've got some time on my hands. Now here's the perfect time to learn. <laughs> and to me, that summarizes so nicely the idea that we are, well, Picasso once said, great works are never finished. They're just abandoned, great works of art. Just abandon it. So the way I tend to look at it is to say the really vibrant, alive people that I've gotten to meet often live their lives well into their 80s, 90s, maybe even sometimes luckily beyond that, but are alive and growing and they've got new interests or hobbies or something's keeping them engaged in life. And that, what I think is ultimately what it's about, it's that we're growing, moving forward. What if gravity is a myth and the world just sucks. <laughs> I love that. The bad news is getting me down. Mm. The more important widespread reason you talk about why. Bad news sells. Just as forecast like hurricane threatens Washington, D.C. gets more viewers than one saying storm may peter out over the Carolinas. Yeah, and, exactly. And I, 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 you hear it all the time yep. from people. Why is it? Yeah, well, and for example, we often hear that there's a 10% unemployment rate. Maybe it's going to get up to 12% unemployment rate and all the dire things that come from that. Well, what about the 90% employment rate? Why do we never talk about what's our employment rate? We always talk about what's our unemployment rate. Or what's the uh, the chances of snow or rain, 30%, 40%. Well, what about a 60% chance, chance of, of sunshine? sunshine. <laughs> yeah. So it's what we put the focus on. And, and we all tend to do it, though, don't we? Mm -hmm. I mean, we all fall into the trap of, do you know, how is the driving out there? Well, I, I, I call my wife and I, she said, how is the driving? Now, what am I going to say? Terrible? Or beautiful, I just love sliding around <laughs> in the car in the snow. Yeah, well, or or my favorite little story is the little girl that's out riding in the car with her mother one day, and she says to her mother, Mommy, where are all the stupid jerks and idiots today? <laughs> and her, her mother says, well, they only come out when your father's driving. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got that it's pretty close. To well, <laughs> yeah, and, and what, it, what I think I take out of that story is that, yeah, there are stupid jerks and idiots on the highways, but statistically... A vast majority mm -hmm. are safe, kind, courteous drivers, just mm -hmm. like the vast majority of people in life are positive, trustworthy, good, solid people. But what do we put our focus on? Because in the book, I talk about the range of reality. Yeah that we create our own reality. One end of the range of the reality is pessimism, where we see the stupid jerks and idiots and all the problems mm -hmm. and things that are wrong and the 10% unemployment rate, whereas the other end of the spectrum is the optimistic end of now reality. we call it Pollyanna, though. Well, some would call which it... Is not, is, which is a derogatory term in some people's language. Yeah, you're right. And I think it's Pollyanna if we refuse to accept and acknowledge and deal with issues and try to avoid them. Uh. Then I think that's Pollyanna, absolutely. The, but it's how we frame it and how we look at it. Be an action hero. Explain that chapter. Mm. Well, that's the last chapter, yeah. and it's it's really talking about uh, all of this stuff is great, and I've given you all kinds of suggestions and ideas and how-to tips and techniques, but unless we put it into action, then, well, maybe you've been entertained with this book, and maybe you've gotten some inspiration. I hope you have. But... It's that you read the subtitle about inspirational. Mm -hmm. So uh, I hope that the book is a combination of inspiring and making people feel that, yeah, I want to be more positive and look at the optimistic side. I want to lead. I don't want to wallow. Now let's take action. You have a thing, uh, a, a 
what do we call it, a, a little piece of just my luck. Luck is another name for tenacity of purpose. Mm-hmm. And then you go on to say uh, studies have, have proven that people with good luck are positive about their lives. People mm-hmm. with bad luck are not, are pessimistic. Yeah, and there's been a lot of work going, going on in the area of, of luck, resilience, hardiness, how do people bounce back, and, and, and again, energy fields and what we create. And some of what you're, you're referring to there is done by psychologists in the UK. His name was Richard Wiseman. Ah, that's what I about. That's where you got yeah. Wiseman from. And uh, he wrote a book called The Luck Factor, which I think is powerful. And it, lo- it, it looks at the massive surveying and work that he did where he identified people who were, were – classified by themselves and others around them as lucky, got all the lucky breaks, everything seemed to come their way. And then he classified people as just seemed to have all the bad luck. Everything bad seemed to constantly happen to them. And he began to identify, well, what are the patterns here? Can we see overall patterns? And what he found really overlays a lot on the discussion that we're having is that people who are chronically unlucky tend to be people that are pessimistic, tend to be people that don't take risks, don't try, give in to fear constantly. And it starts a little self-perpetuating cycle because as soon as bad things happen and they get bad luck, they say, see, I knew that would happen. That's my luck. There's no point. I'm not even going to try anymore. In other words, we, we create a, a bad luck aura. Exactly. We do. And a set of bad luck expectations and bad luck behaviors that then gets reinforced. So what we do is what we say. Exactly. Uh, that's right. And so what he actually did is he began then Luck School, where he started luck to... Luck School? Yes. He called it Luck School, where he started to retrain those people to begin thinking like the luckier people tend to think and approaching life like the luckier people do and take more chances like the luckier people do. And uh, he... he found six months after that work that the unlucky people and the people around them reported a 70% increase in what they saw as their luck getting better. Mm-hmm. What is, when you're teaching these uh, seminars, are mm-hmm. they leaders already or are they wannabes? Well, uh, again, because I use the, the, the approach that leadership is an action, not a position, mm-hmm. I tend to have a wide variety of people in my workshops. Mostly my, my main group that I work with are supervisors, managers, executives in medium to large organizations. That's the primary group of people that I work with. With these people, is there one question that comes up every session? And what is that question? Well, yeah, change is the big issue these days. And so a lot of... You proved in your book here that uh, you have quotes from 300 AD Mm -hmm. about change by Cicero and uh, people like that. So change is always happening. It changes life. Absolutely. And yet we seem to kind of rediscover and and, and we seem to be shooting for, and I have to confess I've done this myself, this sort of mythical point of stability where we can say nirvana we've got it there's no more nothing more to worry about we've plateaued we've no more big changes in our lives a lot of bankers in the states in the in jail (laughs) with that sort of an attitude yeah i don't think there is such a place i I put it the very Mm. first story in the book was years back when i was in a meeting with a group of colleagues i caught myself saying well once we get through this crazy period and things settle down again and then it kind of hit me And I looked around at my colleagues and I said, you know, I've been saying that an awful lot lately. And I think what we've got to get our heads around, or I have to get my head around, is that this crazy period is going to be with us all the time. Because if it isn't this, it's going to be something else. There's never going to be any getting through to things settling down again. 
I love your. You're, you know, you're a convertible man. Uh, uh, yes. A ragtop guy. Yes, I and so am. am I. I love them. I love them. I had them for years. Mm-hmm. But my wife would always say to me, "When are we going to be able to afford a roof on our car?" <laughs> and, and you talk about driving down a country lane with Heather, your wife, mm-hmm. and just that joy of being outside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you still have the convertible? Oh, absolutely. It's away for the winter now. Oh, yeah, but of course. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'd, well, and it reminds me every once in a while, especially when I'm taking it out on a business meeting or heading somewhere, that I have two choices. I can take the 401 and yeah. zip along and, uh, and maybe even put the top up if it gets too windy, or I can find the country roads. And in the last five years, I've gotten to know a lot of country roads all around the area and have thoroughly enjoyed adding a little more time to get to my meeting and taking the country roads. So that it isn't a cliche then stop and smell the flowers. No, I I think that that is a big part of what this is about. Again, there's some sections in there that, uh, that actually talks about some of the Eastern mysticisms like Buddhism and so on that, that has a lot to teach the Western world about mindfulness, about paying attention to the moment and living in the moment, and not just racing around constantly from one thing to the next. And in today's world of technology, that's increasingly easy to do. And if we're not careful, the technology starts to drive us. Yeah, you say in in, in one of your chapters, why don't those idiots ever tell me anything? We don't communicate. Mm. And is this more common in this age of, of so much outside information coming in? Yeah, that's the irony, I think, in today's world is that we've got all these tools. We've got information technology of all sorts, and yet one of the biggest single complaints I hear in organizations is we're not communicating Mm -hmm. effectively. Mm -hmm. And so it has a couple of points to it. One is we often confuse information with communication. Communication is a conversation, it's dialogue, it's talking with each other. Whereas information is a lot of pushing stuff at each other. So it's talking at each other with Blackberries and emails and all the ba- the stuff that... And make sure your printer works. Yeah, and you're not really having a conversation. The other point in that section is to say that there's a great example of, of a choice of whether we lead, follow, or wallow. If I'm sitting back and saying, nobody ever tells me anything, I'm not getting the information I need, well, that's classic wallowing. I kind of sit there with my mm-hmm. arms folded saying, mm-hmm. if only those idiots would Show keep me. me informed. Yeah, I, nobody ever gives me any mm-hmm. information. Mm-hmm. Well, that's wallowing. Oh, did you get that memo? I didn't get that memo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to lead is to say, well, I'm going to go find out. I'm going to go yeah. ask. I'm going to sure. get what I need. I'm going to mm-hmm. take that initiative. So that's what leadership is. Man. Um, Growing My Way, uh, near the end of your book, we're talking to uh, Jim Clemmer. His book is called Growing at the Speed of Change, Your Inspire Actional How-To Guide for Leading Yourself and Others Through Constant Change. It's published by... Is it self-published? We've published ourselves. TCG Press, yes. Self-published. Publish it ourselves. Okay, How I Keep Myself Current. We must always change, renew, rejuvenate ourselves, otherwise we harden. Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Mm-hmm. Wow, 1749, 1892. Yeah, yeah, there's, still, yeah. there, there's always change. What about this idea of, of uh, keeping yourself current? Well, I'm a gardener, and, uh, and I know that when I get in the garden, especially in the springtime, and you're deciding, well, what's winter kill, mm. what's going to grow again? One of the first things you do is you scratch the canes or the shoots to, to see, is they're green there? Yes. And, and that always reminds me of the old adage that apparently Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's, uh-huh. had on his desk. He had one of these plaques on his desk that said, if you're green, you're growing. When you're ripe, you rot. 
And the whole wow. idea that constantly being green and keeping ourselves on the grow and stretching and moving and back to the Oliver Wendell Holmes example of mm-hmm. staying engaged in life, that that is a key element, I believe, of how we deal with change, but also how we engage and stay in that leading mode rather than slipping down into stagnation and wallowing in the swamp. Now you have, uh, <laughs> you talk about dad's jokes. Dad jokes, yes. Dad jokes. Mm-hmm. Have you got a dad joke today? Oh, well, well, yeah, I can give you a dad joke, which okay. are usually the groaners that uh, I sometimes use with my audiences, that here we've had a great interview here, and it's like the frog sitting on the lily pad. Time's fun when you're having flies. Oh. <laughs> so there's a bad dad joke for okay. you. Okay, it's a good book. And if, uh, uh, I, I mean, even for a, a person like myself who's retired, or semi-retired, uh, I found an awful lot of, of, of stuff in here that I can use, mm, particularly the quotes and the and the look at things and how you value yourself mm-hmm. and the way you mm-hmm. lo- live your life. Well, thank but you. One thing I always like to ask this is, Jim, is there one thing that you would like everyone who reads your book, Growing at the Speed of Change, that they take away from the read? Yeah, there is, very much so. And that is that leadership is an action, not a position, and that we all need to lead, and that the reality for ourselves is a choice. We can lead, we can follow, or we can wallow. And leading is a lot healthier and a lot happier. Good. Jim Clemmer, C-L-E-M-M-E-R. Is it in the bookstores? It's in bookstores or uh, jimclemmer.com is uh, where you can order it as well. And it's growing at the speed of change. A great stocking stuffer for this time of the year. Thanks for joining us, Jim. That's it for this edition of McLean & Company.